Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast, where we discuss all things track cycling. Broadcasting from the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, I'm your host and executive director, Joan Hanscom. Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom, and I am joined this week by our very first repeat returning guest, Elspeth Hewitt. Um, Those of you who've been listening to the pod for a while may recall that we had Elspeth on early days in the pod, and we thought this was going to be an excellent opportunity to revisit all the stuff that she talked about the first time she was on the pod, now that the season has concluded. Elspeth is the brand and content specialist for BikeCo LLC, which means she does a lot of really cool things, promoting a lot of really great bike brands. And she is a lifelong T-Town participant, bike racer extraordinaire. And we are thrilled to welcome you back to the podcast, Elspeth. Oh, thanks so much for having me back. Um, I'm super excited and honored to, uh, to be back on and talk about the past year. So when we had you on the last time to refresh listeners' memories, we talked about how you've done all the jobs here at the track, which was fun, starting with um, intern and you were in the community programs. And then we also talked about how 2021 was potentially going to be your last really dedicated season racing bikes here. And you had set some big audacious goals for yourself. Uh, goals from 2020 that had been postponed due to COVID and rolled forward into 2021. And we thought it would be super cool to circle back around with you and hear what happened. Everybody, <laughs> drum roll, please. What happened with Elspeth's season after she set out loud her big goals for the year? Um, let's talk about how it went. How was your season? What happened? Tell us in your own words, Elspeth. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't even know where to start. Really, it was it was my it was almost my perfect season. It was very close to being my perfect season. Um, but uh, winning nationals at T Town in the scratch race was pretty much like the highlight of my life. To be fair, um, it's something that I've always wanted, and you know, I knew it was possible. But at the same time, it always didn't really seem that way. I was like, oh, like you know, so-and-so is so good and I'm not good at this. And, you know, I think I finally put all the pieces together for the scratch race. Um, and yeah, it was it was amazing to win at home. Like my parents were there, my mom started crying and like almost fell off the bleachers. We were and, crying. We yeah. were all crying. We were all so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was so great. And like, you know, when I was like waiting to get my jersey and like after the medals, like, seeing all these people who have played like such a big part in my career, like from Jim Alvord, who was like the Pee Wee Peddlers coach when I started, the Bob Bice and all these kids that I coached who got to see it. It was it was really so special. Like I I still think about it a lot and I, I can't believe it happened and I, I need to like pinch myself sometimes. It was just it was it was the perfect moment for me. So first let me say again, congratulations because in sports, it is not always the case that you say out loud, this is my big audacious goal, and you get to achieve it. 
especially you don't get to necessarily achieve it the way you did. So congratulations again. I mean, that is, that's a triumph, right? And, and I have so much respect for people who say out loud, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm shooting for and then go out and do it. I mean, that's just massive. But also I was obviously there cause you know, working and <laughs> I, and I've told this to you before, but it, it's just fun from, from my perspective, I could see you want it in turn three, like, because I was sitting up high in the judges' stand, and I saw you moving, and I I remember looking at Bill Elston going like, "Holy shit, she's gonna do it! Like she's got it!" You know, <laughs> and it was just this amazing thing where we could see what was happening, or your momentum, or you could see you making the move, and we could just see, like, "Oh my God, she's got she's gonna do it!" And it was so cool to see it, having had that conversation with you, you know, earlier in the year where where you were again saying out loud your big audacious goal and then to see it actually coming true was like I don't know it was sort of magic for all of us too that's why we were all bawling too and like Bill of course he's known <laughs> you forever and just everybody was so excited for you so talk us through that race talk us through how you how you won the bike race that you said you were going to win yeah um so it was interesting because I, I had ridden the elimination earlier that day so there's a standalone elimination race and it hadn't gone poorly but it hadn't been great um and you know what's funny is uh cammy cornley had posted something um about her 500 the day before how it wasn't bad but you know she qualified for the final and she knew she could do better and she came back and she like really put all of her energy into having the best ride that she could and i was like i need to take this mindset and, and bring it into the scratch race um I've always been a really good mass start racer and I knew that I had a good shot at the scratch race um, to win. But, you know, like I said before, it, it seemed possible. And like what my coach said, she's like, you're definitely going to be on the podium. But she's like, you know, to win it, you know, it just needs to all come together. Like, I'm not going to tell you you're going to win. And so I, I knew that I had potential. and. You know, the scratch race, it, it can go a bunch of different ways. And the women's race that year was, um, you know, there were a couple people who tried to go. I was kind of just sitting at the back. Um, the week before, I'd won my first Friday night race, the five-mile final. And I had been really patient in that, too. Um, I might have been being too patient, though, at Nationals because Kayla Crane, my coach, was like, you need to move. Like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> So I moved up to the front and I was like, well, I'll just stay here. And then, you know, the field all dropped down with like four to go. And I, I was on the second wheel and I kept waiting for the rider in front of me to swing up, but um, they decided to keep pulling through. And I was like, well, this is great. Like I'm getting motor paced. And I was like, if I just stay here, like I, I know I can get a medal. And so with one to go, Kaya Schmidt, who ended up, you know, winning a junior world championship later, which was awesome and flying over the top and uh, the rider in front of me accelerated and I was like okay cool like I, th I think I can get third and then we we're coming down the back straight and I was like I think I can pass her and I passed her and I was gaining on Kaya and I was like oh my gosh am I gonna pass Kaya too am I gonna win and when we came around turn four I knew I had like executed it perfectly I was still like afraid someone was gonna come like flying over the top of me and like crush my crush my moment, um, but no one did. And, and yeah, and I won. And I, I seriously like there was this video um, after I won where I came by and all my friends were in turn three and I gave them all high fives. And it's just like literally the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Like that was such a good fun race to watch. And and like I said, we could see I could see that you had it in turn three. Like I knew 
I could just see it. Uh, so it's super cool to, to just watch it all unfold. And it was such a, a, a great hometown moment, too. And we had a oh, lot nice. of great hometown moments, but I think everybody probably, I don't know, celebrated yours the most, which, just, <laughs> again, because you've done all the things here. Um, but you mentioned something that I also wanted to touch on was you got your first Friday night win right before and that had to give you confidence going into nationals like you just had to know you're on a run of really good form that you were in a good place that everything was starting to fire just the way you wanted right in time so what did that friday night win mean to you yeah um yeah so i've always wanted to win a friday night i can't believe i made it to this point without winning one um i've been close a bunch of times right i'm always right in there um, but yeah, so that night of the five mile final that I won, I, I knew it was a good night for me. There was a motor pace scratch race that I had won on the Tuesday night. So I, I knew how to do the race. And then there was the five mile scratch and, um, the motor pace scratch didn't really play out the way I wanted it to. Um, so I was like, this is, I need to make this happen. Like this is, this is the race I can win. I want to win a race before nationals. And, you know, rider of the year was really starting to heat up between Kim and I. So it was important for me to get those those 10 points with the win. Um, and again, you know, I just was, I tried to be really patient and not get antsy, um, be conservative with my energy. And um, I, once again, I left it very, very late. <laughs> with one to go, I was like five back. My parents were like, oh, she can't do it. And then, you know, I, I just really, was super honestly I was motivated to do it and I think you know that's the one thing I've had in my favor this season is I'm not super used to winning so every win means a lot to me and um, I'm extra motivated to make it happen so I had to do some like threading the needle to get to the front on that last lap of the five mile final but but I made it happen and then once I once I knew I could win a sprint like that going into nationals I felt much more confident and then that confidence from the scratch race carried through the rest of nationals as well so that was great and it also had to carry through into the rest of the season because you and kim zubris were just knocking each other down <laughs> to get those those points for rider of the year i mean yeah. all of a sudden you were like hey i'm a kieran rider now um <laughs> you know so so rider of the year was a super interesting comp competition this year um it was right down to the last night um so talk about talk about rider of the year and and how that all went down for you and and yeah because it was it was a i mean that was a competition worth following all summer well thank you well i'm glad i made it interesting um you know it was something that i really wanted this year um it was a great opportunity since you know we were going to be at home all year with uh limited traveling opportunities and you know the season started and i remember the first um first rider of the year race on opening night, I didn't do that great. And I was kind of like, well, maybe it won't happen. Maybe it will. And, and my coach Taylor was like, it's a really long season. Like you need to be patient. It's, this is about consistency, not that you're going to win everything. And so I, with that in mind, like I started moving forwards in that competition and, you know, after nationals, it was weird because I did have a lot of confidence, but that also like manifested itself in a lot of pressure that I put on myself. Um, I don't think anyone expected me to walk out of nationals and then, you know, win a UCI Omnium. But for some reason, like I thought I could do that. And I thought that's what people expected of me. So honestly, the UCI block of racing we had right after nationals was, was 
actually probably one of my least favorite times racing. I, I put so much pressure on myself and, you know, after accomplishing this big life goal, there's this high and then I wasn't really ready for the other side of it. And um, yeah, I just, it was really hard. Like I, I just thought all these people who want, wanted all these things of me and no one wanted that. And, you know, the UCI block of racing wasn't my, my best block. There were some highlights like, you know, making the Karen final and things like that. But, um, you know, for me, it, it was really hard to kind of get through that block and I was glad to see it end. But um, I've said this before on social media, but the women that I think we had at the track this year is is the best group of women I've ever raced with. Um, I felt like we all really motivated each other, especially Kim. Like when I won my first Friday night, Kim was the first person to come say congratulations. She came up and hugged me after nationals. When we had our first scratch race on a Friday and I got to wear my jersey, she came up and said how excited she was for me. And like that positivity, like really, this competition literally came down to the last race on the last night. I lost by one point, which I'm not gonna lie, hurt really bad. But like having, having like this, like I was really happy for Kim and I am really happy for Kim. And you know, she works really hard and the rest of the women's field was so supportive and positive that it kind of made losing not as bad because I'm equally happy for everyone around me. So obviously that's delightful for, for me to hear because of, of our 50-50 and 50 initiative and trying so hard to make women's racing great here at T-Town and really with such an emphasis that we've put on it with Kim Geist and with Kim Zubris and, you know, the Women's Wednesdays program, it, it matters to me to hear that that's what you're actually feeling there in the infield, that there was just this really high quality women's experience racing. I mean, from a, from a racing perspective, a level of competition, but then also just from the sense of community. I mean, that makes me feel like my season was a success, um, <laughs> which is great. Um, <laughs> or our, our organizational experience was a success. It's, it's really important that we keep that momentum moving forward, I think, for the sport. Um, so that's terrific. Um, you worked your ass off all summer, though. Like, you were definitely, I mean, tell us a little bit about your training. Tell us how you approached it. Because when we last spoke, you know, we were talking about training in COVID, and you were out chasing QOMs, and that was your motivation to get through 2020. Uh, how did that change as you went into 2021? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, for me, um, a lot of even early 2021 was about balance, um, you know, I went to my coach in like January and I was like, I don't want to do long rides both days on the weekend. It's not fun for me right now. I don't want to do it. Um, like I was dating my boyfriend long distance at the time. So I only got to see him every other weekend. I didn't want to spend both days like freezing on the bike and, and I'm in grad school too. And it was just I was like, I don't want to do that. So we changed my training schedule. So I was, you know, putting forward I was putting quality over quantity. So making sure that when I was on the bike, those efforts really counted and, you know, spreading them out in a way that kind of kept me mentally fresh. But when the weather did start to break, um, I started getting back out on the road. You know, I missed those things like the training crit that we've had in the past and even just crit racing in general wasn't really present. But um, I was really lucky to, you know, have my boyfriend to train with and, um, once Skylar Espinosa came in from California, we trained together. All, like pretty much every track workout I had, I was with Skylar, which was great. We were really able to push ourselves. And 
I had the opportunity to do a lot of motor pacing and Tuesday night racing. I think the one thing that I did um, that was my favorite thing is I um, raced with the Masters men on Saturdays in the 35-plus category. Um, this year, my racing age was 30, so I can race five years up. So I was able to jump in with them. And it was so fun. It was hard, but it was like a really great change of pace to race with a new field. They were all really supportive, and it was like a really – it was just nice. It reminded me of when I was a junior and those people were kind of like guiding me through the beginning of my cycling career. Being able to reconnect with them at Saturday racing was, was great. And it also really prepped me for nationals where you have hard days back to back. We don't get that very often. So um, racing Friday night and then getting up really early and coming back to Saturday racing, I think was, was really good for me. Yeah, you were not the only one who did that. Christine Dracole also did a fair number of Fridays into Saturdays, and you're on the on the same team somewhat. So was that a team decision, or was that just you both decided that this was a good thing to do? Um, it wasn't really a team decision, but it was great to have her there. And there's a couple other I am, I can, I will, I do Masters racers that I got to race with and connect through racing on Saturdays that I wouldn't have otherwise. So it ended up being like a good good team thing as well. Uh, it was really nice to see all the women out on Saturdays. I thought that Saturdays had a nice vibe this summer, too. Well, I, actually, Tuesdays were my favorite this year. I don't know. Once we got Tom Maines on the microphone <laughs> and, and Andrew got here, um, Paradowski, I just thought Tuesdays had such a good vibe. Uh, it was, like, fun, but chill, but good racing. Like, I thought Tuesdays were really were super fun. But, um, yeah, it definitely felt – this season felt really nice after – the weirdness of just TTs in 2020 and people totally. people came out and raced and it was it was pretty great to see and then obviously we could see who did the work in the off season such as <laughs> people such as yourself um, who who took that time to really uh, dig in deep but now you are not living in the Lehigh Valley you have moved you have re- how's life in your new location. Yeah, um, I moved um, literally the weekend of Kieran Cup. So racing ended and I was I was out of the Lehigh Valley for the first time ever. Um, so I moved up to State College with my boyfriend, Wyatt. Um, so I've been here for a couple months now and it's great. You know, I definitely miss like the group rides and some of the stuff at home. But um, there's a whole new area to explore up here with lots of hills. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that uh, factors into my training. Um, I'm not really much of a hill climber, if you can imagine. Um, but yeah, it's been good. It was it was a hard decision to decide to leave the Lehigh Valley. And, you know, I think when summer rolls around, it will feel like a little sad. But, you know, I, I really I think I've talked about this before, too, is it's important to me to be a well-rounded person as well as an athlete. So pursuing this relationship that makes me really happy is just as important as pursuing my racing. Yeah, absolutely. So um but you did talk about training and diversifying your training because now you're living in State College. Does that mean you're going to keep racing bikes or are you are you done? Yeah, I'm not done. <laughs> um, my, yeah. my coach, Steven, from the get-go was kind of like, you're not going to do this. And then once I won nationals, she's like, you're not retiring, are you? And I was like, no, not yet. So, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I'm not done. I don't think I'll be in T-Town like every Friday. Um so I, I've said I'm not going to try Rider of the Year again, but once again, that's probably one of those things I'm going to say now, and you talk to me in July, and it'll be totally different. But um, I want to pick a couple big Friday nights and really focus on, you know, adding a couple more wins to my account that I finally opened. And um, 
you know, doing some of those travel races that have been off the calendar for the past year or two. So getting out to Marimore in Seattle and racing, going to Indiana, Atlanta, trying to see a couple different things. Um, you know, I, I do think that my time as an elite athlete is, is you know, there's only a couple of years left where I, I think I really want to do it at this level. Um, so I want to make the most of, of the time where I'm still committed to it and I'm carrying the fitness over. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I'm glad you're not hanging the wheels up just yet. You had too much of a good season last year. To, to I have to on. wear the jersey. <laughs> exactly. Like you can't win the jersey and then just peace out. So exactly. this makes me happy that 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 all the fans in T-Town will get to see you racing in your jersey again. That's that's good <laughs> for news for us. Um, so we touched briefly on um, your job uh, because you don't just play bikes on the weekends. You actually work in the industry as well. How is that going for you now that you're in State College and, and the office is in Philly? Are you, are you traveling? Are you all remote? What are you doing? Yeah, it's great. Um, so I was like pretty remote already um, because the office was in Philly. I, w- I was in the office once or twice a week pre-COVID. Um, COVID, we were remote full time. Um, and I'm really lucky that my supervisor at Bico like really um, encourages me to follow like my passions and, and to live like a well-rounded life. So essentially the plan right now is, you know, I come into the office once or twice a month. Um, which is great because I can come home and I stay with my parents and, you know, I get some rides in, in the Lehigh Valley. Um, so I'm back in the Lehigh Valley once or twice a month. And it's not a terrible drive from State College, to be fair. It's only like two and a half, three hours. So it, it's a drive, but it's, it's very doable. Nice. And you were just out at the Sea Otter Classic, uh, the fall version of the Sea Otter Classic. <laughs> uh, how was that? How was, give us the state of the industry from your perspective based on Sea Otter. Yeah, so we were really unsure what it was going to look like. Um, it's my it was my first sea otter with um, I was representing Fuji and Breezer while we were out there. Um, and all in all, you know, I think it was a little smaller than it's been in years past. Um, but I don't think that took away from the impact of it. Um, you know, we were able to connect with press and customers a lot more easily than in the past because there weren't as many other brands there for people to visit and there weren't as many um, consumers coming in every day. So I feel like that made it a little bit easier to, you know, have some of those catch up conversations that we needed to have after a two year hiatus from seeing the industry. Um, But that being said, you know, I I heard that the race numbers for Sea Otter were really good. And Saturday, which is generally the most busy day at the show was very busy. I saw a lot of people walking around. so I think I think we're gonna be good. Um, I'm looking forward to doing Sea Otter in April, where the weather is maybe a little more seasonal. Um, there were a couple of very cold days. Um, I'm not really used to like double puffy jackets at uh, Sea Otter, so just a, just a single April. puffy at, at Sea Otter in April, just a single. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, at least what I know, because we were like, what is gonna happen every day? Um, but it was it was really great to like reconnect with the industry because it, it really felt like it had been a long time. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I think uh, I'm going to ask the controversial question now. You may not know. You may not have any insights into it. But Sea Otter was purchased by Lifetime, um, which meant for the first time in a very long time, uh, it was not USA Cycling sanctioned racing. And that, of course, is an interesting topic all on its own. Um, what were your impressions of that? Did it change things? Did it, did, did it, did people even know? Did they realize that it wasn't a USA cycling event? Uh, what was, what was your take on all of that? 
Yeah, I would say it doesn't seem like it made a huge impact at this point. I think people are really hungry for racing in any way, shape, or form they can get it. And um, Sea Otter is also really mountain bike heavy, which tends to off like often operate outside of the USA Cycling umbrella. So I feel for those groups of people, it's not as big of a deal. Um, you know, the the pro women's field was a little small, but that's pretty common for Sea Otter to be fair. Um, and I didn't at even this time realize of year, it wasn't really right. Like road the time of year done. doesn't help. Yeah. I'm a year in the location. It's not really close to a bunch of other stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't even realize it wasn't USA cycling sanctioned until we went and watched, um, Edwin bull is one of our product managers and he raced the circuit race and we all went to cheer him on. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, there aren't officials here. And then I, I put it all together. Um, so I, I don't think it really impacts the people who attend sea otter i do think there's like a lot of fondo riders and gravel fondo riders there and for them it doesn't affect them at all but i think you know april will be like a more telling scenario for that so from walking around at sea otter for our listeners you know i talked to folks that were at Eurobike, and we know what everything was at Eurobike was e-bikes and gravel bikes and cargo bikes were the things from from Eurobike, what was what were the things at Sea Otter that the bike trends that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, I would I would definitely say gravel. Um, gravel is huge, and I don't think you know being away from things for so long, I don't think I realized exactly how much it has like taken over. Like you saw very few road bikes, which like I said, Sea Otter's mountain bike focus, but still you used to see more road bikes. I feel like it was pretty much exclusively gravel, you know, Canyon, uh, not Canyon specialized chose that moment to launch their new Crocs. Like gravel was really the big key event there. Um, but you know, I saw a lot of like long travel mountain bikes, things like that. Um, I do think in general, like the world is moving more towards gravel and mountain, which I, I think is great. Um, I did see one track bike look, had their track bike out. So that isn't done at Sea Otter. Um, but yeah, definitely way more gravel and stuff like that. We even, um, we brought our, um, electric gravel bike out for the first time in the U S and people seemed really interested in that, which is really like a collision of two really popular trends right now. So that's exciting. And yeah, I think I might need to get a gravel bike. It seems like I just did <laughs> unpaved last weekend. Uh, and it was in horrific weather, right? It just yeah, was, it looked terrible. <laughs> it, it was it was terrible, um, but it was so fun, you know. It was just and and I am not one that typically has fun when it's wet and muddy because I don't like being cold and wet. But it wasn't cold enough for it to be complete misery, though. I did spend a fair a bit of time at rest stop number one, shivering next to the fire. But it was just so fun, and the stoke was so high, um, and it was really. Uh, it was really fun to see so many people having fun on bikes, um, which I think if there's one one really great thing is that people are racing aside, right? The sanctioned racing aside, whatever. People are having fun on bikes. And to me, that's really what what matters. You know, and the people who want to race will find it as long as they're having fun. Um, and then the people who don't want to race will still be having fun on bikes. And I do think that that was something that came across like really clearly at Unpaved is that people were just stoked. And it was, yeah. uh, it was, it was a great day despite everybody being coated in a really um, <laughs> fine layer of mud and dust. 
So yeah, I uh, I worked on Paved in 2019, uh, doing like social media and stuff for them, and. I said to Dave Pryor, who organizes it, I was like, these people are having so much fun. I was like, this is the most fun I've ever had. Everyone here is stoked. Everyone wants to be here. It's like a really great vibe. And it's something that I think, you know, cycling really needs is that laid back, fun, race if you want to, don't if you don't, and just enjoy the day. Yeah, and that came through loud and clear. And so hopefully that's all part of this big gravel trend, right, is that it's just not dead serious bike racing all the time. It's just doing what we did when we were kids which was have fun on our bikes uh, and the more people have fun on our bikes I think the more you have things like bike infrastructure and all that good stuff that comes along with it if more people just have fun so yeah right on well thanks for your perspective on the sea otter um, it's weird because I've gone to sea otter for so many bazillions of years um, and it's always in April which is and invariably it was always on my birthday so I've spent many a birthday at, <laughs> at sea otter with with my bike people friends and and I, I felt weird not being there I was like oh sea otter's happening and I'm not there and it feels really weird but it's not my birthday so I guess I can't complain yeah. <laughs> it was my birthday this year oh, for it so. that's so funny yeah that's <laughs> yeah. that's hilarious yeah it's fun to have your birthday at sea otter because you like yeah it was fun <laughs> I don't know I always found it to be like a really fun thing because I'd see like all my friends from all the various different places I've lived and then got to have a party with all of them so <laughs> So I'll have to go back. <laughs> Is there anything else, Elspeth, in this update for our listeners that you want to share forward? Um, I did kind of want to talk about the 24-hour record attempt, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. And that was on my list, and I spaced. Um, yeah. But yes, tell everybody what we did here, because it was cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my day job at Bike Co, I, I work with Fuji, um, and we have an ambassador, Joe Lawhorn, who's a professional ultra-endurance athlete. So he does all kinds of crazy, like riding across Indiana, riding across America, he rides across everything, essentially. Um, and uh, he had done a 24-hour record attempt at um, the Cleveland Velodrome in 2020, and he was looking for, he wanted to do them um, at other tracks, and I was like, oh, I, I have just the place. Um, so I was lucky enough to work with Joan to make that happen um, at our track, so... Joe came up at the end of August, or I guess the beginning of September, and um, took on the 24-hour record attempt, and he raised money for um, the community programs at the track and also the Philadelphia Bicycle Coalition Youth Programs, um, which are, like, in the backyard of Bike Co., so those are really important to us at work, and, you know, the air products programs are very important to me, so um, he, he suffered so much. Like, the last hour was so painful for him um i can't imagine when he was done we had to put him on like a little rolly cart uh, that was like, unbelievable yeah that was um, unreal to watch him get being pushed in the and it's like a for for our listeners it's like one of those orange carts that you get at home depot you know so like to to move lumber we like threw blankets on it and he got rolled along on because he couldn't even walk when he got off his bike Oh yeah, he was he was just completely cracked and so he did break the record with maybe like 40 minutes to go or something and he was like I don't know if I can keep going cuz everything else after that is just bonus but yeah, he he kept pushing through until the very end and um he ended up we ended up raising enough money to um donate about $2000 to the Philadelphia Bicycle Coalition and then um Bikeco was gracious enough to match that as Fuji and and donate another $2000 to the Air Products Community Programs. Um, so Which we appreciate all very all, much. It was super successful. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, very, very um, appreciative of that. 
Yeah, it, it felt really awesome to be able to like combine like work and also like my passion together to be able to, to do that at the track. And what's super crazy though is uh, Joe just went and did another 24 hour record attempt and he rode like 400 miles on oh. his track bike on the road in California and he won the world championships. But um, yeah, I don't think you're gonna see any 24 hour record attempts out of me anytime soon. Um, a couple of people were confused and thought I was doing the record. I'm oh, not doing the record. Weird. We'll never do it. So. Uh, honest to God, like I was thinking about it because y'all kicked off, you know, Friday morning. And then at like 2 a.m. in the morning, he was riding the velodrome. And I, at, at some point I was like, I think I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water or something. And I was like, there is a dude on the track right now. Like, <laughs> And I was like, that's just madness. But and what an accomplishment. And he didn't just break the record. He smashed it. Like, he yeah. smashed it a lot. It was super impressive what he did. And, and you know, just so quietly, right? Like, there, was, there wasn't like there was a big crowd of people there. And, you know, it's, it wasn't like, you know, when Bradley Wiggins set the hour record to a packed, you know, London velodrome. It was, it was just him there with his support crew and you guys. And it had to be some dark hours in the middle of the night. Like, why am I doing this? But. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. And, you know, Tom Maines did the timing for it. And he was there the entire time, like full 24 hours, you know, and in typical Tom Maines fashion, he came from one event, did that, went to another event right away afterwards. But yeah, he stayed there all day. And, you know, without him and like the timing that he did was so cool. Cause like Joe Lawhorn, who was doing the attempt could like, see where he was, see his lap times, like so much information was provided for him. And yeah, Tom did an awesome job. Um, Tom's wouldn't awesome. be able to do it without him. Yeah, Tom's awesome. I don't know how he functions without sleep, no. but, but apparently he's superhuman and does not require the same amount of sleep that you and I do. But yeah, Tom is, Tom is awesome. And I was glad we were given him blankets and pillows. We're like, Tom, you might need this in the middle of the night. <laughs> so we were, we were fishing out blankets and pillows for him, but um, happily you had nice weather for that. So uh, yeah, it was a super cool thing. Yeah, I would never do that either. Maura, you going to do the 24-hour record attempt? No. No, <laughs> just qu quietly. It's no. a no from me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Well, Elspeth, thank you for this. It's a brief catch-up, but I really did want to circle back around with you because in our conversation, you know, like we, like we kicked off with, you know, you had set some big goals, and I think it's super cool that you met them. And, uh, and we were able to be part of it. And so congratulations again. And thank you again for joining us. And we're gonna have to, you know, wait and see what you do next year. I'm, <laughs> I'm I am guessing it's going to be right of the year. But what do I know? <laughs> um, we'll see <laughs> some more some more wins. Um, but again, thank you. And for everybody listening, this has been the talk of the tea town podcast. And if you like what you hear, please give us the, the five stars or the thumbs up or the hearts, uh, wherever you choose to consume your pods. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. This has been the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm your host, Joan Hanscom. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Head over to our website at thevelodrome.com where you can check out the show notes and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.